0: Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films, with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And
1: this is Jesse. Today on TAP, we have The Hunger, starring Catherine Deneuve, David Bowie, and Susan Sarandon. Based on The Hunger by Whitley Stryber, screenplay by Ivan Davis and Michael Thomas, and directed by Mr. Tony Scott. He's come up a lot as of late. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I told a lie in saying that we've never done a Tony Scott movie. So I was like, oh, yeah, we did Top Gun, and then we did True Romance, and now we're doing The Hunger. So this is crazy. I'm sure the next Top Gun's coming too. Oh, yeah, no, that's
0: just an homage to Tony Scott. Bless yeah, his soul. Yeah.
1: To, to Tony him, Scott. To him.
0: Also but, to uh, 9-11. Yes. Yes.
1: Welcome back to Rice Mile Films. It's time to start a new film review cask and one we've been talking about for a long time. I was going to say years, but probably years, too. Uh, You know, we like horror. Uh, We've done slashers and found footage and possession and conjurings and exorcisms. (laughs) But we haven't done uh, vampires yet, which is surprising. I mean, they have such a cornerstone in the horror genre market Uh, But I think we have three uh, great films that we're going to tackle for the next three weeks. And up first from 81, The Hunger, uh, directed by Tony Scott, starring David Bowie. Great cast. Um, But this is going to be a fun one. I don't know if people have seen this one as as often as some of the other ones that are mentioned on lists and some of the more popular vampire films. But to all of you that want to check it out, give it a go. It's streaming on HBO Max right now. And uh, this is an interesting little 90-minute watch, and uh, we're going to fully uh, break that down. Yes, we are. Uh, to start us off, we've uh, got a, a new bottle here. This is the Wolcott. This is Bottled and Bond Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Uh, we opened this up when we did our little prom night uh, watch-along. So let's start this out right. Cheers. Cheers. Mm.
0: I was telling Jesse off mic this week that I had my own. Semi vampiric experience <laughs> with my new gig. I've been outside a lot, and it's been hotter blazes this week. And uh, I want everyone to know that if you choose to teach elementary school physical education and use the parachute, it's reflective. So wear a lot of sunscreen because it was hot. Melt <laughs> my body to nothing yesterday. You
1: weren't glistening in the in the sun like some vampires do, were you? No. But- <laughs>
0: Both in that kind of vampire, I'm not a glistening in the sun, protect that kind of, I'm, I prefer the devour them, excellent. but so do the sun, it seems to
1: stick to me the same way those devoured vampires get melted. <laughs> that, too. That's funny. Well, excellent. Well, let's get this started with our flight question.
0: everybody what a cool song so on the way over this morning mm-hmm. Peter Murphy showed up on my playlist as a matter of fact which song um it wasn't
1: cuts you up uh indigo eyes okay yeah crazy right meant to be I just like how they wrote a, a lot of songs about those old universal monster people Dwight fry has his own song mm-hmm. and Bill Lagosi and they mentioned Lon Cheney and Lon Cheney Jr. and Warren Zevon's Whirls of London. Yep. <laughs> and so I like that there's all these references to horror. I mean, it's a great place to inspire music. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, our, our flight question. Bit of a story about that. But um,
0: lots of musical influences in this film from the cast. And so I thought we would have a little fun with this. And I gave you the selection of... Any of the remaining three universal monsters that you could cast with whatever rock star you chose, and those selections would be the creature, the monster, and the wolfman. Mm. So no Dracula. And we left out the invisible man because Claude Rains has that on lockdown, and I'm not sure any rock star would want to play the invisible man sure. anyway. Yeah. All right, so you want to go first or you want to go first? I'll go
1: first. Uh, This was an interesting kind of uh, just journey into what musician do I want. You didn't say specifically a film that you want to see, so I don't even know if I want to see this movie, (laughs) but I would want to see what this transformation would look like. I'm actually going to go. I'm going to choose my monster. is going to be the Wolfman. I'm going to go Iggy Pop. Uh, He's already a kind of interesting-looking person, and he's skinny and angular, but I think it's that angularity that I think could be good with uh, the proper Wolfman makeup. Mm. If Rick Baker's doing it or any of those, you know, Rob Bottin, those classic makeup or Dick Smith in this film, if they're doing it, I think they could make Iggy Pop look pretty cool as a werewolf. Now, in the movie, I don't know if he's going to be able to act his way out to make it interesting or make it a good film, but uh, I thought that was an interesting combo to put those two together. I'm a big fan of the Stooges. When When you kind of bring up Bauhaus and Peter Murphy, it kind of reminds me of that. Sure new york 70s kind of punk era scene which um new york the, city dolls yeah the funhouse album by the stooges is actually one of my all-time favorite music albums ever so might uh, have to well, i may have to check that out mm-hmm. good choice i didn't think about iggy pop yeah yeah he looks kind of
0: gruesome and grotesque anyway doesn't he
1: yeah if he, in the 70s era iggy pop for my film <laughs>
0: very good yeah i also chose the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. maybe you and i are jonesing for a wolfman movie coming I think up we're getting it coming soon yeah New I chose was Slash.
1: Oh, okay. The
0: hair. And I actually want him to be the rocker that gets turned. I don't know if that's going to be a good movie. Okay. But I want Slash. And it's funny because much as Iggy Pop and the Stooges have ties, Slash in an indirect way also has ties to this film as well. And we'll get into that a little bit later if we want to, okay. having to do with David Bowie. Mm-hmm. But I think watching that transformation From top hat and dark curls to what that vampire would look like with that dark curly vampire fur. I'm sorry, werewolf fur. Is he
1: wearing the hat when he's the werewolf?
0: (laughs) Yeah, why not? (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Or not. Yeah, I mean, certainly a little bit. I
1: would like it. I
0: think it could be, again, that movie might blow. Yeah. But the transformation, which is what we go to the werewolf films for anyway. Yeah. Could be great.
1: Yeah. That could be a lot of fun. Did you have any honorable mentions? Because I know you specifically said Frankenstein's monster as in the Boris Karloff incarnation. But I tried to toy around with David Byrne playing one of these guys. And I was like, I couldn't really see it. But I could see him playing Henry Frankenstein, the Colin Clive character. God,
0: you and me. (laughs) Okay, yeah. That's who I had, too. And it was Edgar Wright. Yeah. Yeah. As Colin, oh, uh, Colin that, Clive's Doctor Frankenstein. That's pretty good. Not because of the song, and then he
1: could sing Frankenstein. <laughs> he could sing it too. Right? Well, there's no lyrics. Right. He could instrumental Frankenstein while he's creating. Exactly.
0: <laughs> it's funny we both chose the same two honorable mentions in lockdown.
1: Well, I knew I, I, I kind of thought about people that are animated on on the stage, and those two guys really came to mind. So just put them. I didn't want to put him in a Gillman suit because, like, how animated can you be underwater? You know what I mean?
0: I considered for a minute that with Paul Stanley, but I don't know how that plays uh, because, like you said, makeup, costume, would it be even recognizable?
1: Speaking of which, it's interesting that we're in this space right now because um, I came across them and I'd never heard of this or seen it before. But have you ever seen uh, John Carpenter's Memoirs of an Invisible Man with Chevy Chase? Yes. It's not great. No. Uh, but around that time, he did an uh, article for Fangoria and talked about how he was in deep pre-production on a creature from the Black Lagoon remake mm. uh, with Rick Baker doing the effects. And I they had done like a test mock-up of it. And there was pictures of it. I saw the pictures. It looked great. Damn I don't it. know what killed that. Probably that movie. Might have. Invisible Man. But I wanted to see that. It was like a really cool reimagining of the Gilman suit done by the primo... Makeup effects guy. All timers. Yeah.
0: You know, Memoirs of an Invisible Man is an interesting one. I would argue mm. Okay, we t- we did Hollow Man and that's not a great <laughs> that's not a great movie. <laughs> right? I don't think memoirs is worse than Hollow Man. They're probably about equal. Right? Sure, yeah. That that gosh if that's what derailed that film, that might have been a mistake, mm-hmm. especially considering the two players you just mentioned. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh my goodness, what we missed out! It looked—I'll show you after we we finish uh, what what it looked like. It, it was badass. That sounds cool. Excellent. Well, uh, I love your choice. Yours too. Uh, it, it depends on where we want to see the movie. They might be really bad movies, but those guys would be cool in in those uh, suits and with that makeup. Mm-hmm. But cheers to your 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 selection. Cheers. And let's dive right in. I know we got a ton of stuff to talk about, but let's get to our review breakdown of *The Hunger*.
2: I pray I never lose you. I know what's happening to you. I live with your suffering again and again. I hope that this time we do some, somehow, some miracle. I've never stopped hoping that. Who's next? Have you thought about that? Who's to keep you company when I'm gone? I'm sure you have thought about that. Who's it to be? Alice? Stop it. Look at me. Look at me!
1: Well, what to dissect in that scene right there, but let's start at the beginning, because this beginning, the kind of this opening... Seven eight minutes, yeah, is insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, crazy credits. Let's just, I, I just, it just instantly popped out of me. I mentioned him already, Mister Dick Smith. He did a Ghost Story and The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. I love when his title comes up. I don't know if this was a special thing he had, but it's not makeup effects. It's not special effects makeup. It's not even just plain makeup. It's makeup illusions by Dick Smith. Like yeah. this, it's like almost he's like this, like magician. Uh, putting effects on the screen i don't know if that was like his calling card his thing but i was like that i've never seen that before with anyone else so i made sure to make a note of it and it fits this film you know what i mean it is almost illusion-esque in what it tries to portray with these vampiric characters but mr peter murphy and Bauhaus on full display here this is a wild almost music video-esque uh, 120
0: minutes in 1983 on AMTV.
1: Goth Club, nineteen yep. eighties, mm-hmm. New York. Like this is a wild, wild scene. And I, I really like it. And I like how it's kind of insanely cut and put together. Like there would be scenes where they're driving on the freeway and then it like cuts in like the music and then it cuts out and then it's cuts in, cuts out, cuts in. I loved it. I I, I really I liked it the first time I saw it, and I really liked it this time. When you open with Peter Murphy in a cage juxtaposed
0: against these um, apes, chimpanzees. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure what species mm. of ape that is, but whatever. Um, baboon. No. Whatever that is. I think is. they're just like howler monkeys. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're going out loud. Not Congo monkeys. No. Those are all dead. Amy. <laughs> Jesse just did the tatanka. Okay. Um, it's really off-putting. Yeah. And in a really... Germain to 1983 post-punk, new wave, goth vibe that had a very loyal and recognizable sound and following in contemporary music at that time, led by Bauhaus, but others played along. Susie and the Banshees have a little bit of a space Mm, in there. mm -hmm. We can kind of get into that goth sound. Although those bands are different, it's heavy, heavy bass, heavy, heavy drum machine, and little to no harmonized vocals mm-hmm. unless it's the lead singer's voice being echoed. And I don't mean in um, a voice box by uh Frampton. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'm going to be struck by lightning. I forgot Peter Frampton. <laughs> so we've mentioned Edgar winner and Peter Frampton already. huh? Yeah. How about that? Okay. So it's an interesting setting because in this club deco scene in New York with all of the beautiful people here come the two most beautiful people, which is David Bowie. Mm-hmm capably acting as John.
1: Let me just say this real quickly. I don't think I've ever doubted David Bowie's acting chops. He's always really shown up, whether it's... Ziggy Stardust. Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, The Prestige. Labyrinth. Yeah, I think he's always been fairly good, and he always seems like he's having a pretty good time doing it. (laughs) He sure seems like it. Yeah. As they walk in, though, and this, this pulsating back and forth, boom, boom,
0: boom, 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 and you can see that they are scanning he being... They being uh, Bowie and Mm Deneuve, Miriam and John, very vampiric names. Mm -hmm. Although Jonathan seems a bit more regal to accompany Miriam nonetheless.
1: But she has the last name Blaylock, so it all all evens out.
0: Okay, well said. (laughs) Yeah. You can tell they are deciding not only who is a capable feeding source, but there's an element of... Superiority and that they want to seduce and thus murder the brightest, shiniest pig in the mm-hmm. slaughterhouse, shall we say? Yeah. It's a rough way to say that, but it's true. What's questionable in this is because the live act is Bauhaus that's playing mm-hmm. and the way Murphy is acting, is he one to? Vampire, I mean,
1: yeah, why not? Doesn't it seem like it? Yeah, he should be. Whether the film's explicitly telling us he's a vampire, because what's happening? Well, the song, yeah, and, and is this is the song is Tony Scott trying to make a statement saying Bill Lugosi's dead, saying this ain't your grandfather's vampire film, mm-hmm. this is something else altogether. So, by bringing that out, I, I feel like he's doing something there. But that seems that what he's singing behind the cage seems so disconnected to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like it's in two separate locations or two separate movies. But when they're put together is when it really starts to make your brain hurt. And I think that's the intention. It's supposed to feel chaotic.
0: So well said because Mm -hmm. I think that cerebral point of view is where there's a lot of fun things to talk about in this. What you just said. Mm -hmm. If the connotation of Bella Lugosi's Dead is this is not your vampire's film the fact that Bella Lugosi is dead is something that each one of the main characters in this would love to find. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to play hot and heavy to no fruition, I'll be honest with you, like it doesn't come to any real conclusion (laughs) that you're going to be satisfied with the element of time and immortality. Yeah, Where does that start and where does it stop? And in the sound that you first gave, Mm -hmm. they're having a discussion. Essentially, with Murphy's backdrop and to that, some should we say less than cordial remarks from the other members of Bauhaus? Mm-hmm. The whole band was cast and the whole band was used as onset musical mood, whatever yeah. special effects illusions for music, which I want to get back to that too. Don't let me forget that. Cause I have a question for you. The about... makeup
1: illusions. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> because yeah, we'll get, let's maybe we'll do that. Let me finish this first. Okay. The other members of Bauhaus all said, The way Murphy's acting, he's probably going to be the only one that gets on screen, even though they were all done up. Mm -hmm. With the exception of, I don't recommend anybody go back and seek this one shot out, but the knee that's at the same time. There's a knee, like a black jeans knee. That's the drummer. Murphy's the only one that's featured, and Bauhaus was pretty pissed off about it. And Bauhaus actually had ties to Bowie Mm -hmm. because they had some Ziggy Stardust stuff with them, with him. Um, to the point where I think they might have played some of the music at that time with him. Did it, like open up any of his shows or anything, may, maybe background too. Okay, whether that was as Bauhaus proper or prior to Bauhaus, and then I remember you when you used to be Linda Ronstad's backup band, otherwise mm-hmm. known as the Eagles, who then became the Eagles. Yeah, true story. That is
1: a true story. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So, I mean, we're into we're six minutes in, and look where we already are. We're talking about immortality. We're talking about anger on set, and that's also going to play out a little bit.
1: And we haven't even talked about the seduction of these two once they take them back to their place.
0: Uh, or what did they, they... Yeah. I think they take Jonathan and Miriam back to their... Their house, yeah. And it's not a Shantate.
1: Oh, this is like a very 80s modern-esque mansion. Yeah. And it's, it's the seduction, it's, you know, the spreading of the legs, it's the grasping of skin, it's unbuckling of pants and stuff, and it's all very eerie because it's played with the score, but they're looking very seductive, The, the he's almost... Do they have wigs on? Are they, like, in character? Like, he has, like, a black wig, and he's got, like, those shades, like the John Lennon shades. Well said. Perfect, yeah. And uh, it's really really well done, and this is just, like, a feeding ritual for them. This is, as we learn later, you will have to eat once every seven days.
0: Such a strange Mm -hmm. time, right? We all know what happened on the seventh day, so we're playing in that space, too. Here's what else is building to, I said, no fruition at the end. And that is the device that they use to slay or open up the veins of the prey mm-hmm. is not traditional vampire fangs. Mm-hmm. It's an onk that when you remove the bottom has a blade. Mm-hmm. So like a knife, if you're using an onk that also speaks to time, cause that's clearly Egyptian. Mm-hmm. And we do get a brief moment where we see Miriam as Pharaoh, seducing, vamping some unwitting yeah, how, slave or something. I don't know who. How
1: old is she? A thousand well, years old? I mean,
0: if we're going back to ancient Egypt. Yeah,
1: I think she's been around for a while and she doesn't want to give up this lifestyle.
0: Yeah. I mean, she, literally, she's older than Jesus. Mm-hmm, literally. Mm-hmm. Which,
1: but look in, what is she? 42 in this? 43? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Time's and play. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think with vampires and being turned and having the opportunity to be immortal, but in traditional vampire lore only at night is rife with possibility for good story. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to give this one to you here. There are two things that right away we see Tony Scott is choosing not to honor with traditional vampires and that's sunlight. And, and that reflection. is, and that is, Oh, didn't even notice that too. Reflection. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Sunlight reflection and no fang. So, mm-hmm. of those three things that are left out, what does that do for you regarding the vampire? I know, I really feel like film. he's.
1: It, it speaks back to the song. It says Bella Lugosi's dead, so don't expect the tropes you saw in Dracula, where a cross, uh, holy water, because yeah, an Ankh is kind of a cross, isn't it? It did look very yeah, cross. I think about Cross, like yeah, yeah, like uh. Good. Good so catch. the traditional ways of or tropes of vampires isn't going to be at play here. Um, their weaknesses aren't going to quite be because David Bowie, when he goes to visit Susan Sarandon at the aging monkey clinic, um, he's walking (laughs) the where? (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like a weird movie. Uh, he's uh, it's broad daylight and he just has kind of like a hat on, but he's, he's okay. So they're playing kind of fast and loose with what we know, but I'm okay with that. Uh, if this is kind of a reinvention or reinterpretation of that, it's very clearly stated in, Bauhaus's very strange song uh, uh but I I dig it I don't I don't have a problem with it at all in fact, it kind of makes it a little refreshing uh in the films to come in the later weeks. I think those rules are pretty uh, built around you know how to defeat the monster, but we're really not defeating a vampire in this film, are we? I mean this is all about how you said the ravages of time and this is honestly probably my favorite question when discussing vampires is uh the aging thing, like when David Bowie in this, in that clip I played, he's had enough, you know what I mean? He's kind of ready to go, and he's been around for, we find out he's like a French, like French, Barry, they're in Barry Lyndon times, so like he's a cellist. Uh, Been around for maybe 300 years. I think he's had his fill of life, man, you know what I mean? Like, and that begs the question, you know, as a vampire, yeah, that's great, you're immortal, you get to live forever, but how many, how, how many people do you have to see pass in your life you know what i mean all the loved ones that aren't vampires they just wither through time Mm -hmm. uh so that's an interesting question that the film uh begs uh to 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 kind of answer maybe not as you as you stated but miriam seems happy with this life and bowie's like i'm kind of done have you picked my replacement yet have you picked your companion when we're gonna find And, and she kind of already has you know what i mean she kind of already has yes We'll get to the Alice Cavender
0: bit in a bit Mm -hmm. because I think that there's two ways we can go with what happens to her. But I do want to bring up one thing, and that's in this relationship that Bowie and Danube share, another one of the vampire tropes that's sort of thrown to the wind is upon turning, and this is defined all the way back to Stoker and then through who I think is the second best vampire scribe before she went kind of nuts, that's Anne Rice is when you're turned, it's the loss of, of sexual organs. Yeah, And truthfully, with the Anne Rice thing, the time bit for her, after about... And I've read a lot of that stuff. You've
1: read your share of... Uh...
0: Vampire Chronicles? Yep. After about Memnock the Devil,
1: yeah.
0: the time element in this becomes such a hazy, murky issue. Story almost gets um, washed away to insignificant bullshit nothing.
1: I've never read any of her books. If you could recommend but one to tackle, which one would it be? Lestat, the second one, Vampire oh, Lestat. Okay,
0: the first one's really good, but you're getting what in the spectrum of the chronicles, the story told through, oh, the Moon Knight okay. of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> okay, the Christian hey, Christian Slater. Okay, yeah. Look yeah, who yeah, keeps coming up. Yeah. Anyway, him, so him,
1: Tony Scott. Yeah,
0: it's weird. <laughs> We're in a weird space right now.
1: Uh, Who And uh, Tom Cruise was Lestat, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay.
0: And uh, Brad Pitt's in that too. I'll check that out. I've
1: I've never read any of her books before.
0: Yeah, check out. And if you can't have it, or if you don't have it, I think I have it. Okay. Um, Okay, so that loss of sexual organ is obviously in play here because I think we're supposed to believe that uh, Deneuve and uh, David Bowie are going to consummate this last kill and some other scene sexual scene alluded to in the shower. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you per the visuals in this film. If it's made today in 2021,
1: is this an NC 17 film? Ooh, pretty close, right? Pretty close. It depends on how far they would want to push the envelope.
0: If we went the same way with the sapphic scenes and lots of breasts and the very eroticized nature of vampires portrayed in real time for you, shot beautifully, but nonetheless, there <laughs> is it. Yeah, NC- I, th- I feel like they could get pretty close.
1: Yeah, really I, close. I
0: think you're right. I, that's I thought they watching- would probably they'd
1: probably snip a couple seconds just to keep it R because NC17 is the kiss of death. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think they could really push the envelope today. Yeah. No, this uh, that was interesting. We'll get to that scene because you know that scene's. Pretty, pretty wild in and it of itself. But we've kind of laid the groundwork here. Uh, David Bowie's aging. He's got insomnia. He's kind of looking for his way out. Uh, but let's talk about Susan Sarandon's character because she's interesting because she's like this like doctor. Right? Sleep doctor. Like sleep doctor. And they're looking at like how things age. And they're kind of using these like monkeys, uh, these <laughs> howler monkeys mm-hmm. to uh, kind of see those ramifications and see them in place. And then enter David Bowie and. My hands. How old am I?
2: They're waiting. How old? I don't know. Uh, These are liver spots, aren't they? They look like it, yes. I didn't have them yesterday. Yesterday I was 30 years old. That's remarkable. I'm a young man. Do you understand? I'm a young man. Yes. All right. I want you to wait for me, and I'll be back in 15 minutes, and then we'll do some tests,
1: okay? So she doesn't want to show him the time of the day. Her research is more important than aged Bowie entering in the office, Mm -hmm. and as he sits and waits for her to show, he, like, ages, like, 20 years, 20, 30, 40 years, yeah, maybe more. And she comes back, and she's like, oh, my God, wait a minute. Like, what the heck is going on here? And he's like, I have no time for you, and he just leaves in a huff. But this kind of gets her brain cooking on, like, something different is going on here. So she almost kind of becomes, like, a point of interest for her.
0: Oh, Okay, this is where the time thing starts to get a bit messy already. Mm-hmm. And not messy insofar as uh, that ruined the film, but interesting messy. With these howler monkeys that Jesse was talking about, we're seeing a very rapid aging process and a very violent nature Go through them. And when one of the Howler Monkeys dies, we see it age in real time essentially disintegrate into ashes in a matter of. I mean, I know it's videotaped and they're showing it 3X, 4X, 6X. Mm-hmm. Hours, should we say hours to seconds? She's also just written a book. Susan Sarandon character has just written Susan Sarandon's character has just written a book. And in the interview that she's giving to Books on Sunday at noon or whatever, uh, yeah, television show. Yeah. She makes an odd statement, right? That she knows a woman that is 90 plus who said that the, her secret to longevity is less than three hours of sleep a day. So we're playing around with aging and what sleep does to aging. By all metrics in physiology, sleep is one of the most important things that humans can engage in to slow the aging process. You need the downtime to recover, okay? Mm -hmm. This is not my (laughs) vote for sleep. It didn't turn into a sleep podcast, but it's it's well known. That's how you recover. Absolutely. If John, Miriam's husband, and human-turned-vampire has recently, just recently, lost the ability to sleep but still needs to feed, Mm -hmm. then it's pretty easy to see that they're drawing a correlation between him and those howler monkeys, especially the one that shreds the other one inside the cage in that feral feeding non-sleep way. Yeah, What does all that mean? You're never going to find out, Rye Nation. (laughs) There's some hints in there and you can extrapolate and hypothesize to what maybe they're trying to get at. But it makes sense that they should go see the sleep doctor because as Miriam told john earlier in the sound you played this isn't the first time this has happened i've watched this happen over and over and over which poses a big question miriam says that she loves john do you buy that you think she loves him yeah how many times has she loved one of her (laughs) made men or women and gone through this and even though it keeps happening she keeps doing that. And doesn't that then, by definition, make her the bad guy because she is seducing these people into
1: hell? absolutely. i I definitely felt myself turning against her a little bit while watching this. Like almost kind of she's very cold to John when she kind of walks up the stairs and is kind of like negating his question about mm. his replacement and whatnot. And even as she starts to turn Susan Sarandon after their tumultuous love scene, <laughs> uh, she's kind of just almost as like, she's like, what the hell did you do to me? And she's really cold to her. You know what I mean? Like, it's not in a, I, would own, I wouldn't say in like a romantic way. They do a nice kind of romantic dance, but it's a very distant kind of emotional connection that I felt between the two of them. So if you did have to pin anyone as the villain, I absolutely, it's her. Yeah, I think you're
0: right. For me, in my vampire viewing history, this was one of the first times that I saw vampires as cognitive, rational, morally weighted characters. Mm-hmm. I grew up with the Barlows. <laughs> right? That's just this ravenous, blue, ugly
1: thing. They're nothing wrong with that. They're fun. Yeah. Speaking of which, I'm rereading Salem's Lot right now. Are you? I am. Where are you at? Yeah. Uh, so. so Ben and Susan are already starting their uh, stuff, but I'm at, I'm in the part which is this is why that book is so fascinating and it's just the lot. It's I think it's chapter three, the lot. Yeah, and it's just the town and yeah. establishing the guy that you know works at the dump. Uh, Mabel Wirtz, uh, the town. Uh, Gladys Kravitz. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like it, it, it's why that King was so good at like creating interesting characters, and it reminded me a lot of Twin Peaks, and just how oh. like that. Uh, series is populated by just a bunch of randos that are so colorful wow good it, it's, it reads so well it's oh. it, it's it's one of the finest pieces of literature i've ever read that's why i've read it so many times so it what, is a,
0: it, it is a fine piece of literature what
1: prompted me was when you said you know the remake was kind of in active production right now and so i was like i'm gonna read this book again <laughs> so okay let's do it all right so Well, let me ask this, too, because this question came up, you know, in that opening kind of takeover or uh, feeding frenzy. Mm -hmm. They're not turning these other peoples into vampires either. Slaughter. It's simply to feed blood. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're once every seven days. So they they got their routines. They got their rituals. But their intent isn't to create more because then you have, like, a crazy situation. New York is suddenly vampire uh, uh, city. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag too soon. So I'm going to
0: save what's going to make really good sense with this for a little bit of what is he exactly talking about because we're going to get to what will fill this in later. As we see Miriam's answer from John's question, who's next, and he brings up Alice, who is a little girl who comes by three times a week to just play music with this couple, which clearly puts her in jeopardy. Mm -hmm because you just don't hang out with vampires if you don't want bad things to happen just kind of a general rule in life right lay down with vampires wake up with fleas <laughs> or the undead yeah. okay so
1: i like those flashbacks they showed though when she's coming over for these music lessons and then you kind of cut to his time mm-hmm. as some french or like aristocratic like musician in like the 17th century so you kind of got an idea of man he's been doing this a long time it's a perfect segue.
0: So his moral weight is, I don't want to play with you anymore because I know where this is headed, and it means Alice is going to be me. Mm-hmm. Miriam, however, seems to be only concerned with not being alone, isolation. And in order... Companionship, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. In order not to be by herself, that must mean from the masses of humanity, those that she deem worthy... Will be so her you, next running mate. So you think she's they're
1: grooming the the kid? I I'm certain of it. And then is that why he kills her? Oh good! Oh wow! S- to protect her. That makes a lot of sense. I didn't I didn't pick up on that, but now oh absolutely.
0: So a different vampire now that is weighing out the effects of their actions, and Miriam is mostly devoid of any consequence insofar as I just don't want to be alone, so everything is worth the price of that, and I'm giving you this wonderful gift, which is, as stated in the sound earlier, forever Mm -hmm. and forever and forever. Bullshit, it's not forever. I read in the liner notes or the the script notes on this, you said 300, um, which is a long time to be with anybody. Yeah, It said 100, but regardless, if you were promised 100 good years with someone you might take it except here's the rue or the rub on the back end of that is the aging process that each one of these go through. And we're going to find in a matter of 20 minutes from now in the show, movie wise, not now on the podcast, maybe, maybe then too. Mm-hmm. She's got a crypt of former lovers that have all aged the same way John is that are just sort of stashed away. Cause she
1: loves them. What? I completely forgot that scene. First of all, the, the, just like the attic crypt. They're, they're, are they're still alive. Like, yeah, I'm like death's death's door <laughs> in a coffin just sealed away too old to get out. Mm-hmm. What? The other reason I, I always picked up on her as, you know, kind of being very villainous and you're touching on it all right now is it feels like from the beginning, she's like in the process of just kind of slowly phasing him out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like getting him out the door to get the the new replacement in. Cause she goes to that book signing with Susan Sarandon and it was just like, yeah, you like, I, I get this. And then we get into the whole lesbianic relationship between the vampires, which they've made so many films, you know, kind of covering that specific type of relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, hammer Horde loved to do that shit. They just, they'd loved it. They ate that shit up. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, when Bowie leaves the aging clinic, he goes and kills some guy doing, like, breakdancing. <laughs> tries. I tries, Or gets
0: skating. Him, tries to. He
1: stabs him. Yeah. Uh, and fails. And then Alice comes for her violin lesson and then t- does her away. I thought that scene was particularly shocking because, A, you don't kill kids like that in, in movies. <laughs> right. And then, B, it's even more shocking if what you sing saying is kind of the interpretation, which I'm buying now killing the inevitable replacement when she was of age, you know what I mean? So uh, yeah, that's, that's crazy. When John's not able to finish the
0: task with the roller skating guy. And that's weird too. The way that shot is right out of some alternative new wave rock video on MTV. That is just, (laughs) it's, it's weird, but, among a movie filled with other weird images.
1: I think this is a beautifully shot film. Yep. Very blues and whites uh, cascading through like whoa, blinds and, and windows. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very, and it's like light blue. You know what I mean? I need to ask you a question because I'll forget if I don't. Okay. What was first? So these are,
0: this and Blade Runner are both 83. Well, no, this is 81 and Blade Runner is 82. Okay, so per that, the Scott boys. The Scott boys. <laughs> <laughs> love to play around with the idea of what being more human than human is regarding doves. Did you pick up on I that? I did, yeah. Rutger on the roof with the doves all over him. There is a crypt on the roof filled with doves, too, That essentially
1: playing on the same aging idea. What's up with the Scott boys and aging? Well, it was the point where like, I was like, where's John Woo? He loves him some doves, too. Oh, good point. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah, this is very, very Blade Runner-like up in the attic. It's mm-hmm. very Roy Batty's apartment and it's it's blues it's raining it's wet this yeah. is a very wet film as well uh yeah I, I i did until you said that now yeah 81 this uh
0: is it 81 or 83 oh this is 83 it per like, the per the filmography i'm looking at this is
1: 83 but it does i hang on let me see yeah I 83 like, sorry my bad that's, that's okay and it's listed as an erotic horror film um, I, I like that sure it's not a romance but Blade Runner is 82, then this is 83. So, yeah, you're right. So they're both playing with that idea.
0: Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. What is uh, troubling for John, though, is because he's in an aged state and not the man he used to be in a lot of different ways. Vampire versus human versus aged vampire versus viral vampire or virile vampire. He can't finish the task. So when Alice comes over to leave Miriam a message about how she won't be able to make the Wednesday lesson because she has a family engagement, John brings her in, and man, she starts writing her own eulogy to him right in that time, doesn't Mm -hmm. she? Are Mm -hmm. you John's father? Yeah. You have the same eyes. Are you sure you don't know him? Who have I never seen you before? And all of these things she's saying before Mm -hmm. is just more confirmation for John that not only is he looking old to himself... But he's looking old to people on the outside, mm-hmm. and that, Jesse, to me, is where the villainy of Miriam's vampire character is recognized by us as audience. So let me give me one more thing, and then I'll hand the mic back to you. Mm-hmm. John's gonna. Do you have sound? Is that? Are you gonna do? No, something? go ahead. John's gonna do in um, Alice. Mm-hmm mostly because she's little and weak and he can vamp her.
1: So he slices her up. And he's also trying to say, well, if I keep drinking blood, maybe I can stop aging. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And at first it is Mm off-putting, but in
0: a strange way, I think John does care for her. And I think he cares for her because we see him leaving the trio of instruments because he knows what's coming for Alice, and that's Miriam is going to turn her the same way Miriam turned him in the same musical seduction, which is going to be how she deuces, seduces Sarandon, too. Yep. Okay. Him killing Alice is... It's her
1: go-to move.
0: <laughs> yeah. right. I have a couple things about that, too. Okay. That song she plays is very interesting for Susan Sarandon. Yeah. It has ties to uh, Atlantic City, if you believe that. Okay. Okay, here we go. He kills her, and it is shocking. Blood spills on the the musical pages it's white on black on red and Alice is dead. She doesn't escape. And at first, Oh my God, you can't kill that kind of a young kid in oh, film. It yeah, that doesn't happen. Yeah. And then you realize, well, it did happen. And maybe it's cause John was hungry or maybe it's cause John was hungry and he was trying in a strange way to do Alice the service of not being cursed with the same, semi-eternal gift
3: mm-hmm.
0: that Miriam gave him the vampire kiss you
3: said forever uh. Ever end.
1: It was like the last kind of plea for like, you said we'd be together forever, regardless of me looking like, it starts looking like the grandfather from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah, you're right. All kind of bald and withery and liver spotty. Mm -hmm. I read somewhere that David Bowie would go out to the George Washington Bridge at night and like sing and yell as loud as he could to get his voice to sound like that authentically. Really? Yeah. Wow. So that's the part of that makes it like he he likes acting. You know what I mean? He's not just showing up because he's a musician and people are going to go see it because David Bowie's in it. Like he's kind of getting into it. He's getting into the character. So yeah, he is. I was always I was stricken this time by. um, Do you know how old he is when he made this? David Bowie's only 36. Really? Yeah. He looks like he's in his 40s. Yeah. Everyone looks older back then. You know what I mean? Smoking will do that. Yeah, too. that's yeah. Just eat your skin away. Yeah. I was really stricken by that scene of her carrying him up the stairs, almost like kind of carrying your elderly parent, like up the stairs because they can't go up them anymore. Did you notice
0: that he wet himself too? A couple things. So, I want to know what you thought about the scene, which is right after this quarrel that the two of them are about to have. Yeah. When he's you promised me forever, he actually is going to get forever. She's right. It's just going to be a very terrible state of forever. Yeah, it's going to be a... Decaying in a coffin.
1: Six by five box. (laughs) In an
0: attic and no Roy body around. Mm -hmm. Um, When he says kiss me and she starts to and then pulls back, what did you think was going on there? Was it ugly? Was it remorse
1: was it um
0: sadness why does she pull back
1: oh goodness uh i think it was a little bit of sadness i didn't want to see him in this kind of state but then i also think yeah he's kind of getting hideous and i need something fresh and young enter susan sarandon uh but yeah i think she is repulsed which again was is the off-putting nature of her character like there wasn't i don't think a time when i was like this catherine Deneuve is like a good person or like i'm like on her side I kind of felt like she was just kind of shady from beginning to end.
0: <laughs> I love that you used the word repulsion with Catherine Deneuve, harkening yeah, like, back to did Polanski. You like, did you like that? Really well done. <laughs> Miriam's evil, mm-hmm. wickedly evil. Yeah, And because this man that she's turned now when he was beautiful and young and able to be a comparable running mate with her is no longer such, she's done with him. And his, his final lover's dear John letter from her is I'm going to carry him up the stairs. She sets him in his nice new white coffin box in the attic. He's pissed himself. His pants are soaked. Covers him up, slides him next to the multiple other coffins that are in the crypt Mm -hmm. that you said earlier, which I thought was perfect. Yeah, it is a crypt and tells the rest of the people in whatever state of agedness they're in, keep an eye on him and be nice to him. They communicate through the boxes. He's going to live in complete isolation all by himself, aged. Well, guess what she gets to do? Go find the next beautiful thing and turn it. Exactly. Oh, she's wicked, man. Yeah.
1: And I think you could do that with vampires. I think you could portray them one of two ways as sympathetic or this way. Yeah. And I like both. I like being able to see the sympathy of this is almost like a cancer that's been given to me. Vampirism where I have to feed every night, I don't want to, but I have to to live, uh, or you could just people as the the vampires that get off on it, you know what I mean? Like, this is Dracula, <laughs> like, this is her, this is who we're going to talk about in the next coming weeks, and then there's the ones that were picked at random, you know what I mean? And it's their life now. Uh, it's so poignant that, you know, that's in the 80s, you know, because, like, Around this time is the whole kind of AIDS epidemic and Mm, mm -hmm. transferring of fluids and blood is, you know, what kind of, you know, starts to wither away these people that whether they chose it or not. And it's, you know, those ones that were like, uh, you know, given like an injection or an IV and they were kind of given something and they weren't drug users or anything like that. So they didn't get to choose that way of life. And that's kind of how vampirism works. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well said. That's why it works so well in the eighties. <laughs> like, they were able to do so many unique things with them.
0: And by using Deneuve, who's able to play this as cool, but lovingly cool as a facade for I'm just lonely. She never changes. She they, Even when, At her most ugly state, which is the end of the film. That's the only time in this movie where she is hard to look at. Mm -hmm. Even when she's covered in Sarandon's blood a little bit later, it's still shot beautifully well. First, for Deneuve to be used and never take her and turn her into the ugly, undead, vampire vampire. But to keep her... China doll-like mm-hmm. fine, refined. I think Danube is refined. China
1: doll. David
0: <laughs> Let's dance. <laughs> uh it's a great way to show a villain because there's no way that thing should worry about loneliness. There's no way that thing could do these horrific seduction of young innocents through music into the next running mate, lover what have you mm-hmm. sidekick vampire. But man, it's brilliant casting by Tony Scott.
1: Inter Inter uh, at this point, you know, he, so he goes to his crypt and he's going to sleep there. Uh, probably just super right. unhappy. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like a child taking their parent to like a retirement home. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and all the connotations of that. He gets his forever now from her. Ex- exactly enter Dan Hidea yeah, what <laughs> right for those of you that do, you guys you don't know Dan Hidea but you know mm-hmm. Dan Hidea the second you see him because he shows up as this guy in so many movies yeah investigating uh trying to kind of what's he investigating actually <laughs> um he's not investigating his disappearance right because I
0: yeah that's a good guy
1: go- <laughs> I don't actually know is he dis- no uh, they're looking for the girl Alice. Okay He's looking for Alice Cavender Because they're like Hey she came for her Music lessons And no one ever saw her again What's going on Okay So he's investigating that And then inter at that same time Susan Sarandon So now it's time to fully play this out She's looking for John Because she I guess at this point Feels super guilty about turning him off mm-hmm. And seeing how What a miracle of modern science He might uh, be mm-hmm. And then thus the seduction begins It's
2: like made by the limb. Lakme is a Brahmin princess in India. She has a slave named Malika. Malika. In a magical garden, they sing how they follow the stream to its source, gliding over the water. Is it a love song? I told you. It was sung by two women. It sounds like a love song. And I suppose that's what it is. Are you making a pass at me, Mrs. Blaylock?
0: Miriam. Such a great
2: life. Miriam.
1: Not that I'm aware of, Sarah. That's a great song, first of all, just a piece of classical music. The last time we talked about a Mrs. Blaylock, it didn't end so well either. It was Damien's nanny and The Omen. (laughs) Oh, right, yeah. Don't cross me, Mrs. Blaylock.
0: <laughs> Such a... That was spot on.
1: Wow. Mr. Peck, good job. You know, yeah, yeah, She was hell evil. She was the spawn of Satan. And this one, kind of same, fairly similar. Mm-hmm. I really like this seduction scene. I like how people in film, because this is so, like, not reality... I like how people get seduced through music, the playing of music, because even like the playing, because whether you look at like fingers and how that plays an instrument. So whether it's a piano or mm. a harp or a violin, like it's already very fairly suggestive already. Oh, wow. So and fairly poetic. So to put that her playing is almost hypnotic to her or she just falls under the spell. You know what I mean? And you get to do this a lot on the show you talk about like like we talk about that Betty Davis effect on women I get that with Susan Sarandon for like sure. I've always thought Susan Sarandon had kind of like this like thing and it was always kind of like an attraction you know whether it's Rocky Horror Picture Show this film and even like her in like like her older state like it's like it kind of works for me
0: <laughs> It works so well yeah. that that song is very familiar to Susan Sarandon and her breasts mm. In Atlantic City. So Susan Sarandon caught a lot of flack for doing this film. Mm-hmm. This is the next film that she's going to do after working with Louis Maul in Atlantic City, to which she was nominated for Best Supporting actor. The film Atlantic City. The film Atlantic mm-hmm. City. The big moment in that film for her is as she works in this fish market, that same song plays, and she goes through a bathing ritual every night, which is lemon and water to remove the fish stench, fish stench from her. Mm-hmm. And we see her bare-breasted, clean her breasts, and that's when we get uh, a little bit of a voyeur effect, and she seems to watch and not care that she's being spied upon by, um, oh my God, are you looking it up? Whoever that um, elder guy in there is. Oh my goodness, I'm going to have to hand in my Rice Smile film song. Uh, I'll look it up. So that song that Denuve is playing here is the same song that plays in Atlantic City during that scene. Okay, fresh off a Supporting Actress nomination.
1: Burt Lancaster? Yep, yeah,
0: Burt Lancaster. Have you ever seen Atlantic City? I haven't. Oh, it's a good film. Yeah. Fresh off an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting, she takes this lesbianic vampire flick by who? Tony Scott written by what?
1: This is his first theatrical film.
0: And then we are all in, and I mean this with all the respect and grace that should be offered as such Susan Sarandon and her breasts mm-hmm. for the next 15 minutes of this film. Her breasts are as tantamount as anything in the rest of this film. Oh, I spilled the wine on my shirt. Mm-hmm. And then we get this great sequence where she's cleaning it off and a comes behind her. And if it wasn't already primed with the conversation, are you making a pass at me, Miriam? whatever that line is. Yeah. Or Miss Blaylock. Yeah. Miriam. Right. Call me Miriam. Mm -hmm. It's on. And so how are you going to shoot this now? Because if you want, this movie isn't, even though it's erotic, it's not in your face, like hardcore triple X. No, 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 no. It's artistic. Yeah. So Scott features these women
1: But he he does this again in True Romance. We talked about that on the Patreon. He's pretty good at love
0: scenes, isn't he? He is, yeah. So this is where things go crazy in this film for just a minute, on set and off. Mm. Okay, so they get down, and Susan Sarandon had quite a lengthy interview about saying who was going to pitch and who was going to catch in the scene, and I guess she decided she was going to be the catcher and Danu would be the pitcher. Okay, so be it. It
1: probably should be, you know what I mean? Vampire. vampire should seduce the unwitting, right?
0: (laughs) This is shot, this scene is shot in an empty garage, commercial garage. I don't know if it's factory or auto, mm. but they paid the garage owner X amount for the use of this garage. Okay. In the middle of the two of them, in the throes of ecstasy down to the pinks, the garage owner shows up, Jesse, oh, geez. wanting more money, ready with this, with a gun ready to shoot the place up unless they pony up for more money. So Danube and Sarandon are naked on the floor, kissing, making out, this whole vampire seduction bit. And this crazy guy walks in with a gun. Tony
1: Scott's being held at gunpoint.
0: And Tony Scott beats the shit out of
1: him. Oh, jeez.
0: Susan Sarandon said she was never as scared on set, which of course she wasn't. Yeah. And... As turned on at the same time as she as she could have possibly been. So if this movie wasn't already weird enough, mm-hmm. add that element to it. Jeez. And Tony Scott dukes the garage, du- punches the garage owner out in order to keep his two female stars engaged in this sapphic love scene from getting shot? I don't know if this guy was really going to do it or not. Mm-hmm. Is that wild? Crazy, yeah. And the fact that this is in a garage and not in some apartment, I guess they needed a lot of space to build the canopy and the flowing... Veils, which speaks to the artistic nature of the way it was portrayed. I on know screen. they
1: wanted to kind of do it on a closed set, too, kind of yeah. thing. Now, with like a billion people there watching these two go at it. So, right. <laughs> It's a crazy scene. It's, but it's well done. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's not like pornographic. It's very artistically done with like the mosquito netting. That's not what that is, but the lace around the bed and her kind of going, you know, around her and then suckles on her arm. Uh, and it's at that point when, okay, she's in, she's in the club now. And I really like that scene when her and her husband, boyfriend, yeah. uh, go to dinner, and she's like, what's the matter? And like, it's like it's the lover that has already on to his other lover that they're cheating on them. You know what I mean? You were gone for three hours. You do not really talk to a person like that for three hours? What were you doing? You got a steak. You're not even eating it. And you got a rare. That's weird. <laughs> So he's trying to decode, like, wh- what's going, why were you gone so long, what were you doing, why are you acting sick? And then we cut to that her, like, middle of the night just, like, puking her guts out yeah, because she's got the vampirism. She needs blood. She can't be eating steak and regular food, you know what I mean? Right. So then we, we kind of get this, and it's the part where I'm like, hey, how can you be on Catherine Deneuve's side? You know, I feel bad for Susan Sarandon. You're damn right I'm
2: frightened. It's natural. You don't know what's happening to you, but there's nothing to be frightened of. As long as you put your face in me,
0: mm.
2: give me time. Trust me.
0: That she's so evil. Trust you.
2: I did trust you, and look what happened. It's a bruise. It will fade. I know it's a bruise. Look, I'm gonna ask you one more time. What have you done to me? I've given you something you never dare dream of. What? Everlasting life. <sighs> well, if I knew now I wouldn't have been so. The blood in your veins is mine. Yours. Yes. Look, I'm tired of all your bullshit. A straight answer from you. Do you hear me? What did you do? Hey, Jesus. Yeah.
1: Again, I don't think everlasting life is all it's cracked up to be. You know what I mean? Like, you have to see so many people die in your life; it's almost not worth it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Did you notice? I watched it three times, I think, because mm. blinking, you'll you'll miss it. But when uh, Susan Sarandon goes to a, a phone booth down on the street. A little cameo by one Mr. Willem Dafoe. I did, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Dan Hedaya
0: and Willem Dafoe. I was
1: like, look at him showing up
0: here. This is like a street thug number two.
1: This is a year before, and I just watched this movie for the first time Streets of Fire. Have you ever seen Streets of Fire? Yeah. Walter Hill, Diane Lane, and Willem Dafoe is abducting biker gang guy. Mm-hmm. That movie's kind of crazy. You know what I mean? So this I is like... I can
0: dream about you. Yeah,
1: Dan Hartman. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Rick Moranis is like the club owner. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. <laughs> so when I saw Willem Dafoe, I was like, oh, this is this is great. I, I love him. And so him just kind of showing up as like a street urchin or something. Mm-hmm. But this is where the film gets kind of crazy, right? Uh so we're about
0: to lose it really.
1: Yeah, so she's under the spell of vampirism is upset with Catherine Deneuve. Dan Hedaya is hot on the trail of where's this missing kid? I know you have something to do with it. And then spurned lover of Susan Sarandon like comes to this apartment like what the hell is going on here? And she's like, you know, almost like drug uh, withdrawals, you know what I mean? Oh, good. Yeah. She right. she hasn't had a feeding in amount of time so she's all withered and like crawling and shaking cold sweats cold sweats yeah twitchy and yeah and so they they do him like he's the first kill all
0: of this is what i would expect to happen in any vampire film Mm -hmm. obviously you're going to be resentful if you're given this vampire's kiss without asking for it and now you've been cursed or as danube would like you to believe blessed with forever all that makes sense Mm -hmm. here's what's really interesting I didn't look at the time, Jesse, but we've got to be 75, 78 minutes. Seventy-five,
1: in. at least. Yeah, we're, we're close to the end.
0: <laughs> strangely, we're close to the end, but there's a lot more story left to unfold because right now, after she finishes off her boyfriend, so she tries to push him away. Catherine's or I'm sorry, Susan Saranda tries to push it. What's her name again? Is Saranda's name in this. Let me pull it up. She tries to tell him to leave.
1: Sarah, Robert.
0: Come on, yeah, man, mm-hmm. Sarah. Okay, she Sarah tries to tell him to leave because she knows what's coming if he sticks around. He doesn't go, I've got you, and you just see the wild course of feeding run through her, and she succumbs, and basically it's over for boyfriend. The next scene we get is her coming out of the bedroom post-coital, Blood spilled all over her, and now that's the beginning of Act 3. That's Act Mm 3, Yeah, right? Absolutely. I mean, I I don't know for sure, but there might even be a fade out after she kills him. If not, it's black screen and then come into the light again. So we are literally lowering and raising the curtain for the Act 3 stage-wise. So what's the hurry? Because there hasn't been any hurry in this film so far. (laughs) They've taken their sweet time, and it's been
1: aptly and justly done so. We didn't need it to be fast. We do get this, and I like this because we like rules in movies. Yeah, yeah. so we get we do get this.
2: It's not nearly as difficult as you imagine, is it?
1: <laughs> After she's killed her lover.
2: You will sleep six hours in every 24. You will fit one day in seven, and from this moment you will never grow old. Not a minute. You'll be young forever. You're part of me now. And I cannot let you go. We're done to live forever. There's no release, no end. And I need you to share it with me.
1: It's like the pitch that she gives every new lover, like every time. Like, here, this is how it's gonna go. You're gonna sleep this amount of time, you're gonna eat this amount of time. You'll never grow old and we'll have a good time together.
0: But she's well rehearsed. Well rehearsed, yeah. Can you do me a favor? Yeah. Would you do the very beginning of that again? I want to hear what she says the time frame for that sleep is. Yeah. I, I couldn't decode that French accent. Six out of. It's not nearly as difficult 20. as you imagine, is it? <laughs> you will
2: sleep six hours in every
0: 24. Okay, yeah. You will sleep six hours in every 24. Mm-hmm if we compare that to what happened to John, Mm -hmm. John wasn't sleeping any Mm -mm. in 24. So I guess with what we know, what you might want to have answered is if John is able in that coffin upstairs to get some rest, And what they've been given from her is eternal. And they were turned at the age of 36, aka young. Mm -hmm. Will that aging process reverse? Is it maybe not too late for John? We don't know. Because she's not going to let him out of the box and we really don't see him again until the very end of the film. But if you have six, that being told to Sarah is all that you need. I think there might be some hope in Sarah because she has a case of a woman who's 93 years old. That's only getting three. Mm-hmm. This gets back to the question that remains unanswered in this film. And that is what happens to all of Miriam's subjects to where they reach a certain point and they stop being able to sleep, but maintain the other function of survival that's as necessary to sleep, which is feeding that is, is almost just sort of haphazardly thrown away. Yeah, that's
1: not going to be told to us.
0: And addressed. And that is where we really start to lose the story. And there's plenty of time. We've got
1: another 30, 40 minutes if they want it. Just slow down and figure it out. Well, we get this moment, too, where after she tells her the rules and this is how this is going to go down, they kind of embrace and have a nice kind of passionate kiss. And what is she's caressing her on, on a... Unk, Unk the, that knife, uh-huh. pulls the sheath out and then stabs herself in the throat. Susan Sarandon does. Yeah, And so she's bleeding out and Catherine Deneuve's freaking out and trying to drink up while she can, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's at that thing where we're like, okay, she should be dead, you know what I mean? Uh, we're going to walk that back in the final sequences of, of this thing, but that's kind of a shocking thing. Almost Susan Sarandon admitting, that's good, good pitch, sounds great fuck you. I don't want it. Mm-hmm. I don't want any part of that. You made me kill my 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 lover over here. Like I can't I don't I I don't want to be a part of this lifestyle. And so she ends it. So Catherine Deneuve takes her up to the Crypt of Lovers.
0: You almost wonder if Sarah with what she saw from John and his rapid aging Has realized that maybe the same fate had befallen him and thus knows it's coming for her. Which would then make her realize okay, this, my lover turned me. I just devoured my ex boyfriend, I guess, Mm -hmm. whether it's because she's not in love with him or he's dead, Mm -hmm. ex, regardless. And now I'm following in the same path with that same, as you said, very well-rehearsed pitch that I've probably told 15 people prior to Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. She wants out. So to take Miriam's onk and stab that onk in her jugular in what looks to be headed per all nomenclature this film is established that you eat and then you make love with your vampire mother wife whatever the hell maker mm-hmm. stab i'm killing myself okay here's where this thing this is the big problem yeah what is it that in the stabbing and then the ascension to the crypt of former lovers that awakens <laughs> all of the dormant no, I had no idea. lovers from the past that now come out to attack Miriam. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that's what happens with no explanation.
1: The first time I saw it, it almost felt like it was like a dream. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. was something she was imagining or it was a nightmare brewing inside her that... She spurns so many lovers that they're gonna revolt against her, and that's what happens, but it's reality. It's what happens to her. I get why they'd be mad at her.
0: Mm-hmm. I just don't understand if it if that's all it took was a new participant in the crypt of former lovers, and Sarah is that the film's
1: good at, at explaining rules, but also not good at explaining you know what's gonna kill you. So if holy water and crosses aren't like gonna like be a deterrent. Getting pushed off a balcony and landing at that is enough to kill you. know what I mean? So there's yeah. like this... We kind of don't know the barometer of like death and powers.
0: <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe 10 lovers pop out of their sarcophagi mm-hmm. and attack Danube. She escapes because they're very old. Only to be cornered by all of the former lovers headed by John. They... Push knocks, scare her over the ledge in the attic of Crypt. She descends at, what, 20 floors, who cares? And crashes on the ground. It's not that bad. Seven? I don't know. Five, maybe. Okay, five. Okay. Crashes on the floor, ladies and gentlemen, and then ages rapidly and dies. Well, no, actually, I take that back. Ages rapidly and we think she dies. Here's what's really crazy, though. As she's aging, we watch all of her other lovers then finally come to their final ashen state and come to rest so they're released from their curse. Mm -hmm. gets back to the question. If all it took was, we just are tired of this and we're getting out and we're going to fight you now, why didn't they do it earlier?
1: Yeah, there was nothing about that moment that was like, now it's time. There wasn't like a call to arms.
0: Sarah was the final straw? Yeah, that's weak. That is weak. Mm -hmm. Really weak. Yeah. So anyway, at this point we have what we think's the end of the film, don't we? But
1: well, the, not quite. Yeah, this is it, this is strange cuz this is based on a book by Whitley Strieber and when I saw his name come up in the credits I was like, I've heard that name before. Have you? Hmm. Uh and it's uh he gets mentioned a lot on the last podcast on the left when they, you know, talk about like alien stuff. And so hmm. I looked him up when I was doing some research, and I was like, yeah, yeah, he's the guy. He's got some crazy beliefs on aliens.
0: Wrote under her skin probably too, I yeah, bet. The yeah. Scarlett Johansson vampire flick.
1: He claims he was abducted by aliens in 1985. <laughs> oh. So he's, got, he's he's a weird dude. Um, but I wondered if his source material uh, alludes to this at all. I heard that the book is fairly different from this film, more loosely inspired than based on. Hmm. But uh, I wonder, because uh, as I was telling you, this almost seemed it was like a studio thing to add this other ending on here to, if it's successful, we could tell the stories of Sarah going forward in Europe, Europe vampirism. You know what I mean? Well, in fact, you're so right.
0: Sarandon also said that in that interview that I read from her. She said that the studio brought him back in for reshoots because they needed to have this post credit scene almost really is what it almost feels like. Where after Deneuve has aged and we think then died to allow the rest of her turned vampires to come to their final resting place, we cut to I don't know, a high rise in what looks like maybe San Francisco.
1: I don't know. I think we're in Paris. Oh, we might be in Paris. I think we're
0: in Europe, yeah. And we get a very similar looking setting. It's a guy, it's a young girl, and you think they're a couple, and the young girl walks over and uh, does touches the guy on his shoulder, caresses him or kisses him on the cheek or something, it doesn't really matter, and then continues to walk outside to meet our girl Sarah, and they exchange a kiss, and you realize she's building the same thing that Miriam had, and if there was any doubt, then we go to her attic, Sarah's attic, And find another coffin that now holds Miriam in
1: it. So we're just starting the cycle over again. But part of me is like, shouldn't Sarah have a gaping hole in her neck? Because she just like sliced her neck open. Like,
0: at least they put a little scar there. Yeah. So you can see that I guess it healed. But again, that how. Yeah. There's a lot of how in the last 15 minutes. Not
1: the ending that this film needed. It needed just like everyone to, if they're going to die, just all wither away. Or, or have just Sarah and and this kind of like start like a new kind of convent of vampires somewhere. If that's what you really want to do it. Really, you're right. It rushes itself and kind of falls apart all at the same time. Did you know they turned this into a sequel? Like a, a series, right? Television I series. I did. I did read that. A BBC thing, right?
0: Yeah, that was based on eroticism and vampirism. Yeah.
1: yeah. I've, never, I've never saw it. It's probably not great. <laughs>
0: so it's called The Hunger and it's more along the lines of hosted by um, Tales from the Crypt instead of the hunger at Sarah as we continue.
1: Yeah. Who was the host? It was kind of a big guy. Yeah. I'll look it I got it. I got it. Yeah. It's
0: actually two pretty big people that did it. That did it. Um, So yeah, I made it one season on the BBC and then they uh, put it to bed. (laughs) Unlike the rest of the vampires, I hope it aged a little bit better. (laughs) Again, 90 Minutes is not a film that I think anyone is exhausted with, and they had another 15 minutes. Could have gone 105. Would have been fine. Mm -hmm. And I think that extra 15 minutes would have helped...
1: Oh, Terrence Stamp.
0: Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Zod. Would have helped to decode a little bit more of the aging and why was that the final blow for Miriam. Like, nothing happens in that scene that would lead you to believe oh, that was her holy water moment or her cross yeah. or her sunlight moment. It's just a damn balcony she falls on. It's off like they
1: got off. tired of making the movie. Literally.
0: <laughs> Which is strange because from the look of the film as opulent and all in with the visual effects, mm-hmm. I think that they were in love with this movie when they were making it. Cool. It's very proud of how it looks. Yeah, and rightfully so. It looks great. Yeah. I don't know, strange, very strange ending and disappointing ending.
1: As of 2021, they're, like, active talks at Warner Brothers to do a remake of this. I'm,
0: I'm their opening night.
1: Greg Berlanti producing. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, yes. Let's hope. Greg Berlanti's got Titans and The Flash are fantastic.
1: Yeah, he's good at that, but... You gotta replace this cast, you know you know what I mean? Like if this if it's cast poorly, it's not gonna be good, you know what I mean? Yeah. You almost you need a David Bowie esque person like showing up in this thing. But if they can find a way to rework this material into something of a modern sensibility, maybe we're on the cusp of some weird vampire resurgence with that Salem's lot film, this. I know those are all remakes and adaptations, but there's gotta be an original thing in the works that was really gonna turn things on its head.
0: Well, let me give you the cast. I'll yeah. give it to you right now. Yeah. Marion Cotillard mm-hmm. as the oh, Marion character. Oh, that'd be great! Yeah. Adam Lambert as the John character, and Anna Arias as the Bond chick. Mm.
1: As Anna Sir- Darmas, yeah, Anna Darmas. Sorry, mm-hmm. as Sarah. There you go. That'd be pretty good. Yeah, let's make that film. I take some Adam Driver as in the Bowie part as well. I take that too. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Speaking of Mr. the Scots, Mr. Ridley Scott, mm-hmm. like, 83. Yeah. He has two movies coming out. He's got a movie coming out next month called The Last Duel, which is like a medieval movie with Matt Damon, Adam oh, Driver, I saw that, Ben yeah. Affleck. It looks, doesn't look great. And then at the, in, like, December, he's got House of Gucci with Adam Driver, Lady Gaga, and Jared Leto. That could be awesome. That could be good. What I, I said Ridley Scott needed to hang it up, like, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh good for him at eighty three, he's still turning around. He doesn't want to stop, but the product is not as it was in the eighties, you know what I mean? With with him specifically. That's his brother, you know, Tony Scott.
0: Maybe House of Gucci. I don't think the last duel's got uh, yeah a prayer, hell, no, <laughs> <of Gucci. laughs>
1: prayer in hell, but House of Gucci Oh, wait. That's got a shot? I think that could be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see how that how that goes. But anything else you want to say about the hunger before we wrap up? We just put a bug
0: in my ear. Okay. Lady Gaga. Mm. Is that The Bride of Frankenstein in our rock and roll Yeah, cast? why not? Yeah, for that'd, sure. that'd be great. I think
1: so. Oh, yeah. She wasn't on the table, but now she is. And so that would be perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, Lady Gaga and, and uh, uh, David Byrne. <laughs> oh, yeah. In the Guillermo del Toro movie? Oh. Oh, that would be the weirdest movie of all time. What if it's
0: not del Toro, but it's uh, Villain Wave?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I'm uh, showing up day one for that guy. Me too. Whatever he makes. Uh, What's your favorite tasting note of The Hunger? I didn't know
0: how much this scene moved me. Okay, it's been a decade plus since I've seen this film, but I've seen this film a lot, Mm -hmm. a lot. The David Bowie as John killing the girl. Alice, yeah. Alice is close, to the scar scene in Let the Right One In. Mm-hmm. That's a big, loaded moment in yeah, this Yeah, there's film. a lot going on there. So we could have talked about that for an hour. Um, we didn't have time, and people probably don't want to listen that long. Yeah. But that's probably my favorite tasting what That is so smartly and subtly handed that handled. There's four or five different approaches you can take, and I love it when we get that in movies. You know that.
1: What's yours? Mine's the opening. It's a good one the Peter Murphy music video because mm-hmm. it's almost not an intro to the film. It's more him behind the cage doing a bunch of gyrations and seeing this terrific song. And I love how it's cut. I love how it's shot. And it's very, it was the one time in the film that it almost feels like so experimental. It's like, what are they doing here? Mm-hmm. Like what type of movie are they making? And it kind of gets fairly, uh, it gets in line with what it's going to be. But at the beginning like, kind of an acid trip a little bit, and you're like, oh, what are we going to watch here? And it settles down, but that's my favorite part, and this time, I think I watched it twice, because I was just like, I got to see that again, just like how it all kind of eased into the film they were going to tell us. Mm -hmm. Um, What's the, you mentioned mine already, but what's the... Mine's the Alice bit. Like I said, we've talked about killing pets. No, no, killing kids. No, no. She's like twelve or thirteen. Still, though, it was shocking. I, I totally forgot about that moment, and he just kind of sneaks up behind her, grabs her, <laughs> bites into her, and she just bleed, and then she bleeds out on the music. How poetic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just i i was i was very shocked by that, and I was like, it's a no no, but like. It was well done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really, Tony Scott is a is a very good director. Yeah. I don't, I've never doubted his directing prowess. He, he's very good at putting images on a screen and that'll be my oh my God moment.
0: At the core of the vampire trope is <clears throat> essentially the exchange of bodily fluid in there. It, and I mean that for everything that you all yeah. are hearing. Yeah. it. So mine in this is after Sarah stabs herself with Miriam's onk and is laying there on the ground, Miriam mounts her, quite sexually, mm-hmm. and is covered in blood from Sarah all over her face, like her chest. Eat every, it all up. Yeah, it is so vampiric, mm-hmm. erotic, especially when you consider pitching and catching as defined by Sarandon earlier in the show and in what's happened in the story. Man, mm-hmm. that to me was did, did they really shoot that that way? Mm. And they really did. Yeah, crazy. No CGI blood there. Nope. The blood, the positioning, the bodies, the giver, the taker. Mm -hmm. uh, Loaded.
1: Who's the master distiller on The Hunger? There's a couple choices here. Quite a few choices, I think. For maybe, this is interesting, a few choices, but I'm curious on what our ratings are going to be.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I'm going to give it to Tony Scott, um, even though I don't think the film is completed. Out of the gate to make this movie... Mm -hmm. Your brother's name helps some, but he wasn't a huge player quite
1: yet either. Uh, I mean, Blade Runner was a bomb when it came out—total bomb. Alien had some decent praise, so. Right. But I'm going to give
0: it to Tony Scott because I think this material that is, like you said, experimental—perfect word—is mm-hmm. handled really well. Good mm-hmm.
1: for him. And you gave it to him when we did True Romance.
0: Two in a row. Yeah, he's really good. I didn't know this about him. He's because I hate Man on Fire. Yeah, but
1: he's really good. With love scenes, we well, talked about the Slater Arquette thing and how nice that was too. Well, I know the one in Top Gun's, you know, kind of overplayed with Berlin's take my breath away, but that one's it's nice like, too. It's well shot as yeah. well. So, yeah, to that he's he's got a good niche and he's good at shooting action. Mm-hmm. And I know this isn't horror action, but those scenes of biting and succubus are really well done. Mm-hmm. What's yours? The end is insane, but he's he shoots it really well. Oh yeah, yours. Yours was the uh, the. Um, oh, no, my master distiller. Oh, yeah, I'm going to give it to Bowie. Like yeah. it was this and I I, it made me think of the prestige and um, mm. Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. And uh, what was the other one you mentioned uh, Bowie film? Oh, Labyrinth. Yeah, Labyrinth. When he shows up, he like he's just I don't. maybe we missed a few more opportunities to have Bowie in some movies. But like he's he's not terrible. He's actually has a decent presence on there and Bowie fits vampire so well. You know what I mean? Like, you think Bowie, and you're like, yeah, he would play a vampire pretty good. Um, Yeah, I think maybe we missed an opportunity there to not cast him in a few more things. He's When you think musician to actor, you're like, oh, I roll. You know what I mean? Uh, But with him, no. No way.
0: I don't know if David Bowie's genius as an artist is truly appreciated.
3: Mm. Uh,
0: And I'm not going to tell you that I have his anthology and just love it. But, you know, if there's ever any doubt, Mm -hmm. and as a matter of fact, you mentioned... One of the deal breaking songs for me when I was growing up, and China it's, oh my god, that Let's Dance album, which is his first true pop album. That's
1: like his popular album. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, and, I, I love the Ziggy Stardust days, and you know, Space Oddity. Like those are some like uh, some experimental kind of interesting things with him.
0: I even like Blue Jean, but you know what my favorite vocal by him is? Mm. It's him and Bing Crosby doing. Oh yeah, little uh, drummer boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's really good. Yeah. Wildly talented. I told you I was going to tell you a story about Slash and David Bowie. Can yeah, I tell go you real ahead. Quick? Yeah, do it. So, David Bowie's makeup artist during that Stardust era was Slash's mother. Slash grew up in David Bowie's house. Really, isn't that wild? So, is he like a surrogate
1: father to Slash? <laughs> and it's,
0: uh, per the Stephen Davis Watch You Bleed GNR biography, sure. yes. Okay,
1: interesting.
0: So he grew up with, Iman, yeah. David Bowie, Mick Jagger, <laughs> Jesus Christ, and all of the, yeah, Mick Jagger. Is there
1: that whole that whole story too? Iman walking into the two of them getting down. No, I got to tell you, I know it's on lists of the worst music video of all, all time is dancing in the street. Oh, brutal! I love watching that thing. It's I just hard, yeah. I just love watching these like two white guys try and dance and like. Seduce
0: each other at the same time,
1: seduce each other and essentially kind of like have sex. Like in the video, there's something about that video. I know it's trash, but I love it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly. So, yeah, that's good. Good for Bowie. Like, I was to him. Yeah, to him. How are you gonna rate and grade the hunger? We have Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Where are you lining up on this one? It's single barrel. Okay, I despite the last 15 minutes, mm-hmm. I
0: still love this film. Yeah, and even though there are questions, the 15 minutes doesn't answer. It doesn't derail the whole movie and it's finished. Um, I know they had to add the post credits bit where she's still alive. Even that for as much as it doesn't make sense, you can surmise that they get there. I loved this movie when it first came out. Mm -hmm. Uh, I loved what it made me think about vampires. Mm -hmm. This is the movie that I felt like you talked about Susan Sarandon and the Betty Davis thing. I've, been admire hers forever, yeah. And this is where it started. Uh, I came to Rocky Horror after this film, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. And I just think,
1: oh, and there's Bull Durham in there too, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Dead Man Walking, Witches of Eastwick. This follows. She follows up this with Witches of Eastwick. It's a
1: good one too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's fifteen minutes longer and a little bit more better written screenplay. Yeah. Away from being really good the greatest vampire film of all time. But if ifs and buts were candy and nuts. <laughs> Whatever that is saying is. I've never used that before. Does that close? That's kind of how that saying goes.
1: It is. You know what I heard today? I was listening to a, another podcast, The Gorley and Rust. And yeah. it, do you remember the, the, the little thing, greasy, grimy gopher guts? Yeah. The, 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 that, that whole thing, I and do. it's got a whole slew. And I heard them play it. And I was like, I haven't heard that ages. in like Fifteen years, you know what I mean. Right. It was really funny. How uh, weird! How weird! Yeah, exactly. Yeah, top shelf. It's really, really unique. All All right, right, you said single it. barrel. I mean, sorry, single barrel. But really, cl- really unique. close to being top shelf. Yeah, call plus for me. Okay. It's so close. Mm-hmm. Like it's like it's some some things are there. I love the experimental nature of it. Tony Scott, I think, slays this production. It's well acted, mm-hmm. but in the rain and realm of vampires, I guess I wanted a little bit more of. Vampire-esque stocking. It does, it boils down to them like. What are they going to decide to do? Are you going to age? Are you aging me out? Are you um, bringing in a new person, a new employee? It ends up turning into like a corporate like employee ageism. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so and so that that's pretty cool. But I, I want to see Catherine Deneuve maybe go into like those clubs again at the beginning. Like I thought that was interesting and I maybe wanted a little bit more of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's well shot. It's a very beautiful looking movie. But yeah, that ending is wild and it almost doesn't know where direction it wants to go. And mm-hmm. like I said, it like they came to like a, a roadblock or like we need to end the movie. And then it just like it goes that way. And it's like, well, what, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, it's it's entirely almost unique to get into single barrel. I think everyone should check this film out. If it's a recommendation for you to check it out. Absolutely. At least once.
0: It's almost fixable in one scene. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you how I think it's almost fixable? Yeah. Go ahead. yeah. Okay. So after Sarah kills her boyfriend and she and Deneuve go through the process of making love again, Deneuve goes off to do whatever she does. And Sarah says, I just want to stay behind and figure some things out, or just stays behind, get cleaned up. I don't know what. Deneuve leaves. Sarandon goes upstairs, finds the crypt with all of the ex lovers in there opens up her veins, feeds each one of them Mm, mm -hmm. to then when Miriam comes back home, there is a now, might I use the word, empowered with Danube's fresh blood army. And then you could almost de-age them back to the state that they were turned from, and you have this young, robust army to take down Miriam's character. It doesn't even have to be this big action bit, but it's fixable in one scene, Jesse. Sure,
1: sure. It's it's that fixable, yeah. It's crazy. It's an- right. She just takes that little onk
0: and mm-hmm. opens and like just drips her blood over all their mouths. And here we go. We're waiting for you. Yeah,
1: we're we're, we're awakening them with the blood of your ex lover. And how
0: fun would it be to watch that de aging process go through, especially if we have oh, yeah. makeup illusionists.
1: Yeah, Dick Smith's makeup illusions. He's got to do some stop motion to bring them back. That scene makes this maybe yeah perfect yeah. Yeah, it, it's it, there's some things hanging it up but um I have a good time watching it I liked Dude. it the first time I saw it I liked it this time so yep. call plus it's it's this no knock against it's it's really close to being really fantastic great um all righty let's let's wrap this up with our nightcap. Alrighty, so we're going to be spending some decent time with vampires for the next couple weeks. Uh, They've been making these films since the late 10s to the early 20s until they're still making them. Like I mentioned, Salem's Lot and a Hunger remake in active development right now. So my question to you is, of any decade in film, what decade do you think has been most, how do I want to word this, advantageous, most helpful, or most important to the vampire subgenre?
0: 39 is an important year, but that's not a decade. None of this happened. A lot of what we talk about in filmmaking doesn't happen if it's not for Dracula in 39. Yeah. It came down to either or for me. And the reason I would say either or is both of the two decades um, here have, I think, four really solid vampire as evil blood sucking bastard. And then two or three that I didn't... Or maybe two or three that I didn't know about. And then about three others that chose to kind of portray vampires in not a horrific way. That being said, I'm going to go with the 1970s. Okay. But it's not by a lot. It's really close with the other decade. Um, We're talking about Dracula.
1: um, John Badhamson. We're talking about Blackula. Oh, yeah. um, Talking about... Which is... The badam Dracula, that's uh, Franklin Langella, right? Right. Yeah. Um, that's the social piece of the
0: artistic side that they chose to do there. Um, love at first bite. It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. So now we're playing along in a comedic space. Then you get to a really earlier artistic one, Ganja and Hess. Oh, yeah. Right? Ooh, yeah. So now we're, there's some social themes or um, racial social things there. George A. Romero and Martin.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then one that I hadn't seen but I'm really interested in now that is on my queue with another vampire film that maybe we can talk about in just a minute. Have you ever seen Let's Scare Jessica to Death? Yes.
1: Yeah. Okay. I own that one, yeah. You do? I do, yeah.
0: Oh, I might have to borrow that on the yeah. way out. So that's the one, although it's close with another decade, but I don't want to say that other decade.
1: And then I mentioned uh, Werner Herzog's yep. Nosferatu remake, which is... That's number one of those. I, I hadn't seen that one either, but mm-hmm. yeah. Pretty great. I for, I guess I forgot about Blackula and some of those other ones that, you know, took the exploitation route of, you know, doing that same thing. So, mm-hmm. oh, good, good, good choice. 70s. I want to go with the obvious here. It's the 80s. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. Like, and I stated earlier why it's so good. And no, right. you're going to find out in the next two weeks why it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm no. Act- I'm actually going to go 1930s. No, you are. Uh, So if we take it back to 31, you have Todd Browning's original Dracula, which I think is... No, did I say
0: 39? I meant 31.
1: Sorry. Yeah. It's so important to this genre as a whole. I think it popularized that genre. Because prior to that, I guess some people had read Stoker's novel, but I think that film was like, wait, this is based on a book and a play? Like, let me go check that out. And then everyone got to learn about Count Dracula and Vlad the Impaler and all of that business. Um, that's not my favorite Universal Monster, but that's not saying it's not a well-made movie. I even like that Spanish version they made on the side Mm -hmm. on the same universal sets is still good. But take that and then Carl Theodore Dreyer's Vampire, P Y R. Um, so the German, the post German expressionist movement, so uh, of tackling that subject and more suggestive than showy. Uh, I think you're doing some interesting things. But what you're doing is you're bringing that idea of the vampire to the American populace, to the film-going populace. And at the same time, they're still trying to figure out what film is. You know what I mean? Talkies, silent films. We're getting into more people talking on screen. Uh, And to think that vampire would be able to start way back when and then get popular there and then just ride it out through the years is remarkable. How many things die out? You know what I mean? Like the Westerns, musicals, things have died out and dissipated vampires they're still around you know what i mean yeah so i'm gonna go with that one
0: wow okay i thought for sure you were gonna do the 80s that's why i did that was my other choice too i would
1: want to you know what do I mean? you want? okay well we, yeah in all reality yeah and it's and it's to it's it's just a, a prelude of of what's to come but i feel like the 80s you know they they have that backdrop of like i said of the AIDS epidemic and the social uh, ideas of what's going on with vampirism, which is so very, you said it and you said, it. now I'm trying to be gross here, but it is transferring of fluids. It's yeah. you're, you, when you bite it, when a vampire sucks someone, they're sucking blood. They're getting that person's saliva into them. They're making that person someone else. It's unavoidable in that regard. It's why the thing's so good too. The sexploitation
0: bit in vampires goes right along with what you just said, the exchanging of bodily fluids and penetration. Mm-hmm. There's just no other way around that. What's important in the 1980s, and like I don't want to give too much away here, but we talked about this off mic, is the film Near Dark. Mm-hmm. Catherine Bigelow's first film, 1986? 7? Six, six, right yeah. 87. Mm-hmm. 1987. She took what was a deader than dead vampire genre. Had moved into just sexploitation, get some pretty faces and some boobs and let's just throw them out there on some mm-hmm. minuscule budget and took what happened for me in this film making the vampire morally weighted and chose to make them sympathetic. Resurrected the genre.
1: You know what I like about that film too is it's like one third cast aliens. It's Paxton, mm-hmm. Jeanette Goldstein and Lance Henriksen as the vampire of Convin. You know what I mean? Yeah. Another, You know what other film I like from that decade, too, is is so silly. I love Once Bitten. I was just going to mention Once Bitten, Robert Loggia. Yeah. Okay. Do you know how much I used to love that film? Oh, yeah. I
0: used to have the standee. Oh, really? That was probably five feet high in my bedroom. I and It's not a good film except for one scene. What yeah. scene?
1: Yeah, go ahead.
0: The sex scene. Yeah. When her eyes spin into that spiral of color. I love Once Bitten. Do you? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah okay. So- Great! Yeah. Oh no, no!
0: Did you say once bitten? Yeah. Oh, I'm talking about. Sorry, I'm talking about Innocent Blood. Oh, that's John. La- that's John Landis. John Landis with with Robert Loggia. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm getting my. Yeah, I'm talking about Innocent Blood. What I was talking about, Innocent Blood. You're talking about Once Bitten with Jim Carrey.
1: Jim Carrey and Lauren Hutton. Lauren Hutton. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there you go. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Two
1: solid entries in another yeah, decade.
0: Pretty good. Yeah. Innocent Blood. I had that. Not once bitten. I had the standee for Innocent Blood.
1: Yeah. Ex- excellent. Yeah. So the '80s, yeah, is probably the true winner. And then I, I mentioned to you too. Kind of the winner for werewolves as well, you know what I mean? Like, werewolf, the Wolfman's good, but that's forty-one, and then Hammer did one in the fifties, and it was kind of whatever. Eighty-one, like eighty-one, has Werewolf in London, the Howling, and Wolfen in one year, Oof. and Larry Cohen's Full Moon High. Like it was like a like a, a full moon resurgence in the eighties for werewolves. Cool, uh, and then the Howling uh, franchise is the most and. I try to think what's the most insane horror franchise, and it's either the Howling, Texas Chainsaw, or Hellraiser, and I haven't decided yet on um, just the quality. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, this is this, <laughs> wow. yeah, this was a great discussion on on The Hunger from '83. It was great to revisit this, and people go check it out. It'll be at least through the end of the month on HBO Max. Yeah, so you'll you'll be able to access it there. But coming Not up, with the kids though. This is one that's yeah, after the kids have been put down. Everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catherine Deneuve, hard, R. yeah. She gets on those nipples too.
0: <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah. she does.
1: Anyway, uh, coming up in the next week, Matt. What do you say? Uh, let's let's stick around with the vampires here. What if we get on the on the train here? Let's take a little journey to Santa Carla, uh, California. Let's take a journey with the Lost Boys, Mr. Joel Schumacher. Hey, we haven't talked about him before. Wink, wink. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to talk about this. Uh, 87. So this came out the same year as Near Dark. What a great year for vampires. But this is kind of a weird reinvention of like rock vampires, like youth. The two Corys. Jamie Gertz. Oh, I can't wait to talk about Jamie Gertz. for Sutherland. Sutherland. I have a Funko Pop of for Sutherland with uh, Chinese food. With worms? Oh. They're worms, David. <laughs> <laughs> uh the music, hmm. I love that opening song, um, Cry Little Sister. And I love the saxophone bit. Yeah. Edward Herman and uh what is it? Uh Diane Weist. Yeah. This is gonna be so much fun. I can't I can't wait to do uh the Frog Brothers. Yep. Uh when's the last time you saw The Lost Boys? About three years ago. Okay. So as much as, you know what I always think of, as much as this film
0: was, uh, The Hunger was like being stuck in the middle of a Bauhaus video, mm-hmm. what we're about to do is like we're being stuck in the middle of an NXS video. Ooh, that's well said. I love it. I can't wait.
1: This is going to be a lot of fun. So you got that coming to you next week, Rye audience. Uh, check out the Patreon. We just did our prom night watch along, which was a lot of fun. We talked about so many crazy things in that. Mm-hmm. Horror prom stories, <laughs> slasher, film cinema, what it's like to make films in Canada, Leslie Nielsen and Jamie Lee Curtis. Like that, that was that was a that was a blast. I'm glad we did prom night. Uh so go check that out. Check out T Public. Uh we have the Rice Mile merch. They're gonna be doing some sales uh uh this month so you can get your stuff at 35% off, and we got some teas in there so if you want some lost boy or what's to come teas go 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 check them out it's going to be a lot of fun
0: yeah the tea public site even if you don't buy anything is worth a look because there's so many cool things there yeah obviously buy through us because that helps us but yeah definitely take a look there even if it's not film related the rye stuff is just unbelievably cool Mm -hmm. yeah a
1: lot of cool just like indie artists just like making really cool designs Black ringers with white rings on it. Yeah, just tons and, and tons of cool You and stuff. your Brock Lander shirt. Love it.
0: <laughs> Brock Landers, private investigations.
1: Well, until next week. Cheers. Cheers. I got to get going. I got to go practice my cello. Um, I just hope I don't turn into a vampire and end up in someone's crypt. That sounds like an awful life. I can totally relate to David Bowie on just like wanting to die uh, with dignity.
0: <laughs> Makes me want to find us both an onk and never take it off the rest of our time. Just in case. Excellent. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Take care, everybody. Have a good week. We'll see you in the dark.
1: Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash rye smile films for exclusive bonus episodes. Plus feature length watch along commentaries on your favorite movies and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. The hunger is property of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers.